that's what he begins the chapter with, chapter 5. Well, connected to each one of these scenarios, these groups, is always the need for prayer. If you have financial problems, you lose a job, don't know where your next job's coming from, you're applying for jobs, can't find work, you lost your job, but you got called back now, uh, things are tough sometimes financially. He says, cry out to God. Physical problems, what does he say to do? The prayer of faith. He gives us the prayer of faith. How about spiritual problems? In spiritual problems, he says, learn to pray like Elijah. Another great conversation we'll have in a week or so. Well, in our passage this morning, James is directing his attention to wealthy merchants. Now, before you dismiss his conversation as being for the one percenters and not for you, consider what Ward Beecher said. No man can tell whether he is rich or poor by turning to his ledger. It is in the heart that makes a man rich, not, not what he, excuse me, what he is, not what he has. So today's message is ultimately about what's in my heart. What's in my heart? You can see it as a superficial conversation about the rich that doesn't apply, or you can say, no, I see how it can apply to me because how stuff of life can infiltrate our heart. While the wealthy of this world is his illustration, his point applies to anyone who would store up treasure in this life, in this world, and not be rich toward God. Luke chapter 12. Outlining James is a little like trying to outline Proverbs. Do you ever read the book of Proverbs? I have a little habit I've done for many, many years, and just read a proverb a day. There's 31 chapters, so if you read one a day, you're going to have pretty much the book every, every month through. I don't know. But Proverbs, you try to outline it, and you can't really find a clear outline, but you can kind of go through it and find groupings of thoughts, right? So we're going to go through the first six verses of James, chapter 5, and we're going to go through it three times, and we'll kind of group it together differently each time we, we go through it. So James chapter 5, let's read the first six verses. Go to now, you rich men, or you who would be rich, or you who have focused on riches, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, you sh and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton, that is, you did as you pleased, you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter, like cattle ready to be slaughtered. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. First thing you'll see here is the means of wealth. How did they get what they have? How did they get what they have? The Bible never condemns wealth, but clearly condemns the illegal use, gain, or selfishness that often comes with wealth. James first gives an illustration of their corruption. Back to the first uh, one, verses one, two, and three. He says, you're, you're corrupted by your wealth. 
That's how you got it, because you corruptly got it. Your gold and silver is cankered, so it's a, it's a testimony against you. And the rust of them will be a witness against you. The very next verse, he tells you the context of their corruption was by holding back wages that was due the worker. The implication is that he never intended to pay the poor fellow for the work that he had done on his behalf. You hire somebody to cut your grass, you better be ready to do what? Pay him. Don't send him on, your way, on his way and say, oh, I'll catch up with you later. <laughs> later sometimes doesn't come. And quite honestly, you might even just forget, right? So pay the guy. You get something, you pay for it. Now, we know that the Old Testament law said that's wrong to hold it back, Deuteronomy 24. The prophets spoke against it, Jeremiah 22. Jesus said, pay the poor fella, Luke chapter 10. And even the apostle Paul said you ought to pay up, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now remember this, because you, maybe you haven't hired anybody lately. Maybe you've always paid, every, but this thing goes both ways. You ever gotten more change than was due at the store? And you just thought it'd be more trouble to explain the return of it, right? You ever been there? I remember one time in a youth group many years ago in Ohio, and I, and, uh, I said, well, I'll drop off the deposit, and there was a check that was supposed to be cashed. Uh, no, it was, a, uh, it was a money that was supposed to be returned to me. And so from that, for a youth group outing, and it was a $60 thing. And so they ran the process and put in the envelope the money, and I took, them, I took the envelope, and I didn't count it, I just took it, 60 bucks, 320s. And I remember grabbing it and setting it down. And then as I drove out, I was like, that envelope was awful thick. There was $600 in that envelope. Now, I could have been all kinds of corrupt by it, right, and kept it, but I just circled the bank and went right back inside. I think I got the fella fired. But, you know, uh, you just, you can't overlook that. I just read the other day where $1.4 billion went out the door in this COVID crisis. $1.4 billion went out the door to dead people. Now, how many people are cashing those checks today? I'm just telling you, this thing cuts both ways. Maybe you're not the rich guy hiring somebody, but along the way somewhere, you know, a little bit of something, you just thought, you, or like taking stuff from work sometimes. Yeah, nobody's going to miss it. I, I, I'm just telling you how stuff of this world can corrupt us. Nothing corrupts quicker or more completely than money. We as Christians have to be careful to not only live within our means, settle our debts, but understand that money is a great worker, it's a great servant, but it's a terrible master. Corruption by money. But then notice the condemnation that came with it. It says they, verse 4, 5, 6, verse 4 says they kept it back by fraud. So they kept back and he, said, he described it as in a day of slaughter, you've condemned and killed the just. You know the golden rule, don't you? He who has the gold rules? Is that, is that the way you heard it? The golden rule, he who has the gold rules? Sometimes we feel that way, right? No? 
When God established law and order, He warned against greedy judges, Exodus chapter 18. He warned about how bribery can corrupt decision makers, Isaiah chapter 33. Human nature is always exploited by money, and who hasn't thought to themselves, it seems like the guy who has everything gets away with everything. You never felt that way? Well, be honest. Well, what can we do about it all? Pray. Pray. Verse 4, cry unto the Lord of Sabbath. You see unfairness? Maybe you've been treated unfairly. Maybe you think it's not right. What can you do? Pray. Pray to the Lord of Sabbath. Don't let the concept of you getting your fair share. And the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the grease, so you might as well speak up and get your fair share. Don't let that thinking corrupt your testimony for something that is temporary. Because remember, it will, this, this concept will not only cause you to err from the faith, but will pierce you through with many sorrows. Well, that was the means. That was the how they got their wealth. Kind of leads us into the misuse of their wealth. First of all, look at verse 3, and you see how they worshipped it. it. They worshipped it. You see in verse 3 the phrase, you have heaped treasure together for the last days. The last days always refers to a time of judgment. And you've, you've heaped to yourselves against the day of judgment. Always the last moments. Always the end of life. History records that in just a few short years, after the book of James is written, circulated among the Christians, Jerusalem falls to the Roman Empire, and the Jews... The, the, the congregation of this book, the Jews will lose everything. You've heaped up for yourselves treasures on earth, and in a few short years, they will lose it all. When the last days of your life or the last moments of any circumstance you may face, if money and the stuff it can buy is your hope, the only witness it can offer is the same thing that was said to the wealthy farmer in Luke chapter 12. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall all these things be that you've laid up for yourself? If money could talk, what would it say? It'd probably say goodbye, right? If money could talk, listen, you, you hold me in your hand and call me yours, Yet may I not as well call you mine? See how easily I rule you? To gain me you would all but die. I am invaluable as rain, essential as water. Without me men and institutions would die. Yet I do not hold the power of life for them. I am futile without the stamp of your desire. I go nowhere unless you send me. I keep strange company. For me, men mock love and scorn character, yet I am appointed to the service of saints, to give education to the growing mind, food to the starving bodies of the poor. My power is terrific. Handle me carefully and wisely, 
lest you become my servant rather than I yours. The great mistake of wealth is to worship it, thereby become enslaved to it, and we often become enslaved to it with the simple thought, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. If I could just turn the corner, just a little bit more, and in that pursuit, it's set up as a thing we worship, and we leave behind so many others. And notice how they withheld it. You see the phrase again, verse 4. You see the phrase there, they kept it back by what? It's an interesting word. They kept it back by what? Fraud. I don't know what translation you make, but fraud means to separate. It is to bid farewell. They kept it back by fraud. Like the one said, if money could talk, all it would ever say is what? <laughs> it's the feeling that most of us have when we get our paycheck. Because most of it is already spent. And we think of all the things that separate us from our money. Whether it's the things we've bought, the payments we make, or the taxes we pay. That's this, this word fraud. Things that separate you from your money. It's like when the payments outlast the warranty. And you begin to... Think to yourself, I'm throwing good money after bad, and this old car, this lemon, this thing, this broken down, whatever. And you start to think to yourself, I'm making payments on something that won't even give to me the joy I thought it would. Or as in the words of Tennessee Ernie Ford. Any of you ever listen to him? Yeah, oh, there you go, Bob. Thank you. Right? St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store, right? Load 16 tons, and what do you get? And deeper in debt, that's right. But maybe you bought an extended warranty on the thing you've got. Okay, that's great. You never had to work in a coal mine, good for you. But as I said in 1 John chapter 3, if you have enough money to live on, and you see somebody in need, and you separate, you shut up your bowels of compassion, and you don't help them out, how can you say the love of God is in you? Huh. Quite a challenge, 1 John chapter 3. Well, when you defraud others, separate from them, don't help out, hold back. You thought you'd save up, but you end up wasting it. Verse 5, you see the pleasure there? Pleasure, wanton, luxury, self-indulgence. You've spent your years in luxury, satisfying every whim. Warren Wearsby says, luxury is a waste, and waste is a sin. The Quaker said to his neighbor, tell me what thou dost need, and I will tell thee how to live without it. <laughs> Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Which is to say, abundant living is not defined by what you can keep, but in what you can give. James is saying that living for the stuff of this world is like a fattened calf waiting for the slaughter. You build up your bank account, you get a bigger house, 
nicer car, and you're just waiting for the slaughter. Because at the end of life, where's all that going to go? What a waste to hang on to that which perhaps you can buy, like a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. You can buy food, but not an appetite. You can buy finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. A crucifix, you can buy, but not a savior. A church pew, but not heaven. We build bigger and better. We buy newer and nicer. But it would seem that we have less and less joy, diminished satisfaction, no peace in this present world. Well, this was the mistake they made. The mistake of their wealth. When we look back through the verses again, the number one mistake we have to admit about the stuff of this life is it cannot fix your problems. Have you learned that? Money can't fix your problems. You think it will. Good country song on that one too. You think you buy a car and then, you, and then you're afraid to drive the car so you don't want to get scratched. You think, well, once you have a house, it'll be great, but but then a bigger one comes along. So all these things, but it cannot, it cannot fix your problems. You go back to verses 1 and 2, chapter 5. Weep, howl, miseries, corrupted, moth-eaten. These are the sights and sounds of a man who thought that a little extra time at work would help him store up a little extra treasure, help him turn the corner and meet the needs and provide for the satisfaction and fix all of his problems. But for all of that, you hear weeping, which is a sign of grief. You hear howling, which is the cry of sorrow. Miseries, which are the compounding problems of circumstance. Riches, which tend to corrupt the person's character. And everything it buys... He writes here, is soon moth-eaten or broken down, living in pursuit of just a little bit more. It's not a, you know, you can't blame a fella, right? Just lay up a little extra, just, side, just set aside, but it's never going to fix your problems. In fact, it seems to only tend to compound your problems with the more stuff you have. See, if you're not careful, your epitaph will soon sound like the concluding marks of the beleaguered prospector coming out of Deadwood, South Dakota. I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I'm out of food. The Indians are after me, but I got all the gold I can carry. What's that going to solve for him? Mistake number one. Have you learned it? Money won't fix your problems. Mistake number two, money cannot secure pleasure. You see it there, verses three and four. Your gold and silver is cankered. The rust is a witness against you. It'll eat your flesh, and it cries out against you. Does that sound really great? No. That's not much fun. Remember that according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I 
read or quoted earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, seeking pleasure in the stuff of life will not only cause you to wander away from the faith, but also pierce you through with many sorrows. By the way, if you ever come and ask me, Pastor, pray that I'll get a job. I, I, will, I, I may say, okay, but I'm not praying for you to get a job. I'm praying for the Lord to meet your needs. It's a subtle difference. But I've prayed for a lot of men to get a job. And as soon as they get their job, guess what happens? They're gone from church. They're busy. Pastor, I, it's the only day I have off. It's the only, time, the only time I have with my family. And you pray and you pray for this guy to get a job. First thing that happens is he's too busy now for the Lord. I'm not going to pray that. I'll pray that the Lord will meet your need. Well, money is, of course, not an evil all by itself. It's the love of money. I know that. Seeking pleasure in the things that it can buy leads to all sorts of trouble. Such pleasure not only leaves us wanting more, but it eats away at us like rust, and everything we once found pleasurable is corrupt. The wealthy King David said, If riches increase, this is King David, and he gave us this warning, if riches increase, be careful, that you not set your heart upon them. Warren Wearsby said, it's good to have riches in your hand, provided they do not get into your heart. Ready to retire? Bob says, I can never retire, right? Are you ready to retire? He always said he would retire. When he had made a million clear. And so he toiled into the dusk from day to day, from year to year. At last, he put his ledgers up and he laid his stock reports aside. And when he started out to live, he found he'd already died. Mistake number two is like the fellow who invested in a large insurance policy. I may have given you this one before. He invested in a large, in, I mean, he's got a lot of stuff, so you, you know, you got to provide, you got to cover your assets, right? And so he, he, he invested in a large insurance policy. He goes out to celebrate with his friends, when we used to be able to do that. At the end of the meal, he cracks open his, uh, his uh, fortune cookie. The fortune cookie says, recent investment pays off soon. Think that one through. Well, mistake number one, money cannot fix your problems. Mistake number two, it cannot provide you pleasure. And mistake number three, it cannot replace people. Money cannot replace people. You see in verse five and six, as you go back through those two verses, verse five says they had lived in pleasure, they had been wanton, which is... They lived as they pleased in disregard to anybody else. They just did what they wanted to because they wanted it and they could afford it. Verse 6, they had condemned and killed. They had destroyed, walked over, trampled down many people along the way to get what they wanted. You know people or seen people like that. Abraham Lincoln. He's a good one to quote, right? Financial success is purely metallic. The man who gains it has four metallic attributes. 
gold in his hand, silver on his tongue, brass on his face, and iron in his heart. Jesus said, don't be selfish. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. Living in pursuit of getting more, whatever it is, whatever level you're at, whatever it is, will never bring happiness and can never replace the people that you are neglecting along the way in your pursuit of it. Consider how selfish it sounds if you end up one day with everything you ever wanted and then have no one to share it with. Sad, sad epitaph. As you've often heard it said, greater joy is always found in the giving rather than the receiving. Right? Famous preacher noted for his lengthy sermons was once asked to give the annual charity message. So this is a fundraiser, all right? So this annual charity message at the National Conference, it was suggested to him that he be brief because if he kept the people sitting too long, they may not want to give as much. Well, the preacher began by reading from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Proverbs 19, verse 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. His following sermon was, in fact, quite brief and to the point. And he simply said, if you like the terms, then put down your money. Do you, do you believe God will reward you more than you could ever reward yourself? And why are you hanging on to all that stuff as if that's where your pleasure and that's where your satisfaction is to be found and not in investing in people's lives? Invest your life in people, and the Lord is sure to repay you beyond all earthly treasure. By what will you be remembered? In the Mount Hope Cemetery in Hiawatha, Kansas. I could take you to the place, I suppose, in pictures. Well, there is a strange memorial to a wife and he great or to a farmer, excuse me, and he graciously included his wife. Himself, this old farmer, an orphan, grew up hard. John Davis was his name. He came to distrust, if not dislike, people for how they had abandoned him, abused him, and he made his own way. Nobody helped him. And so by his will, he arranged that his fortune would not go to any relatives, it wouldn't help any charity causes, it would not in any way go to anything other than an elaborate tomb as a memorial to himself and his wife. When his wife died, the process began, the first of many granite statues was commissioned. Later, other statues were erected, making this various stages or recognizing various stages of their life. So when they got married and when they were young and when they, they never had any kids, when they, you know, and so you see the different stages of life through all of these different statutes. 
The last statue was erected when Mr. Davis died at age 94. Outlived most of us. Today, the costly tomb, because of its own weight, is sinking into the ground. The townspeople, resentful, why he didn't invest in the hospital to help sick folk. Why he didn't do something simple, like maybe build a community pool to help with the efforts. Maybe help some other poor orphans like himself to give an advantage to. So they're resentful, and because of that, they just left it go. And today the monument is referred to as the old man's folly. And as you might imagine, no one has put forth any effort to help with any of the repairs. Money cannot fix your problems. It cannot secure your pleasure. And it cannot replace people. And so I conclude with these first six verses of chapter 5 with that familiar phrase, you probably know it, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.